so this all sounds like a lot of work, right? If you have to first review in your head the review site and then read the reviews, <laughs> it's like, isn't the point of these places to just make it simpler? Yeah, the point of these places is to make it simpler, but unfortunately, like, the act of rating something that is entirely subjective is a fundamentally difficult thing. It's What's the Point from 538. My name is Jody Avergan. I knew Walt Hickey's story about Fandango's movie rating algorithm would be a hit, but I don't think I expected it would be this big. A lot of people read it and had really strong reactions, and it's probably because it's about more than the fact that he did some really good digging and found out that Fandango is seriously inflating their ratings, which is kind of fishy. I think it's more because his piece gets at the question of trust online and how we try to turn something subjective this movie is pretty good, into something data-driven. It has 3.5 stars. And when you factor in financial incentives, fan ratings, and the promise of the wisdom of the crowd, there are all sorts of interesting wrinkles. So let's talk to Walt about his piece and the reaction to it so far. But first, today... Something a little different for the significant digit slot. This past Tuesday was, apparently, World Statistics Day. Who knew? Anyway, 538 tweeted about it, because that basically counts as a holiday around these parts, and asked people to respond with some statistics that they love. So here are a few of those responses read by some people I met on the street. All these stats check out, by the way. There are 3.04 trillion trees on this planet. (laughs) That's a lot of trees. It's a lot of trees. I believe that. People in the U.S. overestimate the proportion of Muslims in the population. Thinking it is 15%, it is actually 1%. They believe 56% are Christian when the true figure is 78%. If someone is hit by a car going at 40 miles per hour, there's a 70% chance that person will die. But if someone is hit by a car going at 30 miles per hour, there's an 80% chance that they will live. Basically, somewhere between 30 and 40 miles per hour is the tipping point where people just don't die when they get hit by cars. I would say um, we should be more careful when jaywalking. That's my reaction. Or driving. (laughs) Fair point. Don't drive. Or drive slow. 15% of the sub-Saharan population of Africa has 3G mobile coverage. By 2020, 52% will have coverage. That's it. Thank you. Over 10 million people watched the CBS show Blue Bloods last week. Do you know Blue Bloods? I can't say I do. Um, No. It's a TV show, I'm sure. 10 million people watched it. I won one of them. (laughs) I think it has Tom Selleck in it. I know who he is. Yeah, me too. But that's about all I know. I had to Google that. (laughs) Oh, well, I remember him from the old days. The Portland Timbers soccer team is 5-0 in the last five matches they have played the same day as a lunar eclipse. Makes you think, huh? Yeah, it makes me think. (laughs) Do you think that there is some relevance to the fact that the lunar eclipse has played into their success? No. No, I do not. (laughs) Stats that people sent us for World Statistics Day. I hope that didn't sound like the podcast version of the Uber Facts Twitter feed. Uh, But really, they do check out. You can find links to the sources on our website. Okay, on to Walt Hickey, Fandango, Yelp, and how we try to have the crowd rate the unrateable online. 
Walt Hickey, thanks for coming around the corner to our studio. You've been on a couple times on the show uh, doing the Significant Digit, but now you're on to talk about this piece you did about Fandango. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And the piece is about the Fandango ratings and movie ratings, but it's also, I think, about the sort of world of online ratings and trust on the internet and other bigger think questions. And we'll get there, but I, but let's start by watching a trailer together. So right now on the screen, let's let's roll this thing. What movie is this? Uh, this is Fantastic Four of 2015. So this is the trailer for Fantastic Four 2015. This was a really bad movie. An aggressive flop. Like, the kind of flop that aggressively reminds you repeatedly that it's going to be a flop. And that, yeah, so critically panned, audience hated it, didn't make that much money. But it did keep the rights at Fox. So, you know, movie mission accomplished. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know if that was the stated goal of the four of them, was, to, was about movie rights. Yeah. But nevertheless, that's one win in their favor. But what rating did that movie... That aggressive flop get on Fandango. That movie got a three stars. Out of? Five. And is that high That's to you? It's a pretty good movie, right? I mean, I, I feel like everybody kind of has a conception of, of what their rating system should look like. Like a one is an aggressive non-endorsement. Uh, a five is a really, really good movie that you should see. Uh, I, I would say that a two and a three are about in the uh, – a little bit less aggressive endorsements or non-endorsements. And a three is like, you know, very solid average movie. Uh, you got like – if you get a 50 out, of, 50 out of 100, you know, that's not the worst thing to get on Rotten Tomatoes, that kind of thing. So I would say, yeah, uh, a three out of five is, is essentially an endorsement. And this is actually where this all started for you, right? You yeah. noticed that this movie and other really bad movies had – these ratings that felt way too high for you. Yeah, well, uh, Micah, my editor, noticed Fantastic Four had a very, very high rating on Fandango. We were like, yeah, that, that does kind of smell funny. That was a terrible movie. Uh, nobody should see it. And, and so then we kind of kept on looking. And, and like Mordecai, which another notorious bad movie from January where all bad movies could have died. Hadn't even heard of that movie. Yeah. No, it had Johnny Depp in it. And uh, if it had Johnny yeah. Depp in it and you didn't hear about it, then you could tell it was probably not a good movie that they were trying to like push under the carpet. But either way, so that got 3.5 stars out of 5, right? And so uh, you, you see like Adam Sandler movies like Pixels getting like a, either four or four and a half stars. You see uh, just a whole bunch of movies, you know, do, do disproportionately well. Because uh, what it really comes down to is like, are they doing well on Fandango or are they doing disproportionately well compared to its peers? And what we kind of set out to figure out was, are is Fandango just a solid reflection of how audiences feel? if audiences are dumb, or is there something else going on here? Where does Fandango, how do they generate those ratings? Yeah, so uh, Fandango is a ticket sales website, right? And so, Which, yeah. Hold that in your minds, yeah, listeners, because you know, that will become an important in the back of the mind over the course later, of the conversation. But, that, yes. Yeah. So they make money from selling tickets to movies. Uh, and I don't know how, how recently you went to the grocery store and you asked, like, is this good? And they're like, no, it's terrible. Don't don't get it. Right. But like, So, so either, we'll get there. We'll but get just there. Just in terms yeah. of how they generate their rate. So what they do is they'll sell you a ticket, and then you'll presumably pay your $15, spend two hours in the movie theater, watch your movie, and then later in the day you'll get an email saying, hey, do you want to come back and rate how you like this movie on, on Fandango? Anybody with a Fandango account, whether or not they have seen the movie or haven't seen the movie, can rate any movie on it. Uh, all you need is an account, but they do prompt people after they have seen the film in order to rate it, which we thought might be one of the reasons why they're a little bit higher than right. normal. So just to be clear, these are user-generated yeah. user reviews on 
Finagle from people who have seen the movie afterwards. We'll talk about other sites, but other yeah. sites have either critic reviews or some sort of aggregation or average or whatever. Uh, take a step back and tell me what's at stake here in terms of the effect of these aggregate sites online for the movie industry. I mean, is this just all happening off in the corner or is this actually affecting the industry in some way? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that is the like, no joke, billion dollar question here. Right. Um, So you've seen earlier this summer, particularly the summer sites like Rotten Tomatoes were getting blamed a lot or credited a lot for the success or failure of a movie. Um, Like for a movie like Jurassic World, which did very, very well uh, on sites like Rotten Tomatoes in its first weekend, that then prompted like continuously good weeks, and now it's the best movie, most successful movie ever, right? Then you've got movies like The Fantastic Four, where the press that came out beforehand, the reviews that came out afterward, all that kind of thing, they, they were crap. They said that this movie is crap, you should avoid it. And as a result, it tanked. So what you're kind of seeing now is that studios are typically laying the blame justified or not at the hands of these rating sites. But is it justified? Is there any evidence that the balance of how people are making their decision about whether to go to a movie is shifting from uh, critics or word of mouth to these aggregation sites? So Yeah, so we ran a survey monkey survey uh, for this story. We ended up not including it just because we felt like the argument kind of stood where it needed to. But based on this, uh, we asked again uh, a survey sample audience uh, of Americans, like, do you check movie reviews online uh-huh. before seeing a movie? And half said yes. Um, so we found that like half of the people who do it do check and then we also asked them like do you t- like if you see a movie get three and a half stars are you more or less likely to see it and what we kind of find is that once you get above three stars every consecutive additional half star makes you more and more likely to see a movie so what we kind of see and it's very difficult to kind of like assemble the smoking gun from this right but people are increasingly trusting online ratings more not just in movies but like buying lawnmowers or pet care products and right. all this kind of thing people or are subscribing to podcasts so just throw that out there yeah so so they are placing more emphasis on what they read online and it actually kind of appears to make a difference between whether or not they choose to see one movie or, or see another right so I would say that there's a like there's a lot of money sloshing around uh, there's a lot of ways that you can uh, incentivize an audience to do something or not do something advertising used to be the way to do it uh, and it's not working as well as it used to and one of the reasons for that may very well be that you have these rating sites that, that do kind of tell you how good a movie is or isn't the weekend that it comes out. So there are arguments to be made there. I do not know the answer to that. If I knew the answer to that, I'd be making far more than I'm making now. Uh, yeah. So when you dug into Fandango, what did you find in terms of how they're ratings stack up on, on aggregate. Yeah. Um, well, we, we have a chart, I think, somewhere over there. There you but, go. Uh, Usually, Walt, I yeah. call for oh, the charts, for but the chart. it's okay. Uh, You're one of us. There we the go. Chart? Yeah, okay. Anyway, so... Uh, we, there it uh, is. Yeah, there it is. So we... Uh, we pulled the uh, the data for five different other websites, including Rotten Tomatoes, the user score for Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, the Metacritic user score, uh, and IMDb, which only does user score. And then we plotted it against what we saw from Fandango's ratings. And what we really saw was that all the other ones kind of have a defensible distribution, right? 
it's equally possible for a movie to do really well on any of these other review sites as it is for it to do really badly, right? They have, they, they have the, movies have the lowest possible rating and movies have the highest possible rating, and there's a spectrum in between. Whether it's weighted in one direction, weighted higher in the middle, weighted either way, no matter what, they're hitting all five points right. of their we scale. We could see each curve has its own unique sort of pattern, but it's still a curve that generally hits the full spectrum of one to five stars. There are movies that get a half star. There are movies that get four and a half stars. Right. And that, that you're using your full scale. And that and with is Fandango? not what we see on Fandango. Fandango, uh, again, the lowest rated film from this selection of films. And these are the films that were on each of the other websites. Um, the lowest possible score that one of these films got was three stars out of five. So if you're pitching a five star system, but you're only using the top three stars in order to sell your movie, that that makes us like ask a lot of questions. So they're effectively working on a three star system, yeah. is what you found. And just you said, ninety eight percent of movies had a three star rating or higher. Seventy five percent had a four star rating or higher. So is this enough? This chart, seeing Fandango's curve pushed all the way to the right, is it compelling enough to you to say? something fishy is going on? The main thing to kind of keep in mind here is that, like, nobody's making you use different rating systems, nobody's having you do that, but this chart's probably pretty helpful if you wanted to pick what your ideal ratings distribution would look like, right? Like, if I think that I want something where everything across the board, there's an equally, like, there's always going to be a 10% chance that it has half uh, half a star, one star, one and a half stars, and so on. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes might be the system for me, right? If I think right. that they should have a more of a bell curve kind of system, then I'm going to start using IMDb or Metacritic user score, right? Uh, if I think that all movies are good and movies can't be bad, I'm going to use Fandango. Right, so there might be an audience for this who yeah. just really love movies. They don't ever want to be dissuaded from going Never. to the movies. Yeah. So you go to Fandango because you're going to go anyway. You might as well just get yeah. something to back We stop up. making bad movies. <laughs> um you pointed out in this chart, I think does a good job of showing kind of that there's a floor for the ratings in Fandango that is higher than the floor in a lot of other systems. That's one thing you found. The other thing you found was that they were rounding up in yeah. a way. So describe describe that second part of how they're normalizing in a not so normal way. Yeah. So ha- having seen that chart, we wanted to figure out like why on earth is this happening? Uh, and so Fandango system uses, it's basically a, a, a five-star rating system in increments of one-half of one star. So you can't have a 3.75-star movie. It's either going to be a, a like a three-and-a-half-star movie or a four-star movie. But what we found is that you can actually find out what the real score of the movie was to the tenths place mm-hmm. on the HTML of the page. That if you go onto the, the code for the web page for a given film, it tells you, yeah, this movie actually got a 2.7 So stars. somewhere between their data set and the way they display their data set, yeah. there was a, there's a rounding error yeah. or a rounding something. Rounding error isn't the way to put it necessarily <laughs> because th- this is something else. Uh, the idea being that we found that in every single case, the actual score of the film was rounded up to the next half star, which is what you would expect. So 4.1 yeah. would go to a 4.5. Every time, yeah. Right. Uh, so, so normally we'd expect like a 4.3 or a 4.4 to go to a 4.5. That's just the kosher rounding, you're good, right? right? But if you're having movies that are 4.1 and 4.2 go to a 4.5, or if you're having this occurred about, I think it was something like one out of every like eight times or something, uh, rather one out of every 12 times, you had a movie go from a 4 to a 4.5 or a 4.5 to a 5, those skews 
occurred. And so what we were seeing is that across the board, every movie was getting a little extra gas in the tank. Okay, but what, why does it matter that a movie has a 4.1 versus yeah. a 4.5 or a 4.6 versus a 5? Think about it this way, right? That's like the difference between like getting a 1,200 on your SATs and a 1,320, all right? If you, if you were to normalize it out to the scale of a 1,600 or a five-star thing, right? You're actually like, – it's but a going to the movies difference. is slightly less uh, – there's slightly less at stake than your SATs or whatever. I'm just, I'm just wondering – in the grand scheme of things, what does point three of a difference actually matter when you're deciding to go to a movie? Right. So the, I would say the main thing is if you only have 10 possible scores for a film, rounding up 10% essentially of the score right. is, is kind of a problem because that is actually something that people use inside their heads to decide to see a movie or not. Right. And I guess everyone has their line somewhere, yeah. regardless of where you draw it. And if moving it up half a star or point three of a – or whatever – pushes it over a sizable number of people's lines, then that makes a big difference. People do understand these ratings as actual levels of endorsement for a film, and that's not what they're seeing. But do you think that people are looking at the actual ratings and making their decision on the rating, or are they looking at the comparison? Because yeah. you know, I know not everyone is like me, and I don't want to, to take my approach and, and make it like it's the way that everyone works. But for me, it's about comparison. Yeah. So I go to Rotten Tomatoes, say, and I look at the percentage. It's not necessarily that it got a 98. It's that this movie got a 98, this movie got a 94, this movie got a 92. And so then, in my head, this movie's slightly better than the, than the next two. That still would exist, even if all the ratings were inflated, right? I would say that the more interesting part of that is that at that point, you've already made the decision to see a movie. Right. The people that we're really interested in here are the ones who are affected by the, do I want to see a movie tonight or do I just want to go to a restaurant tonight? And so they could potentially go to Fandango, see a bunch of twos and two yeah. and a halfs and be like, oh, there's no good movies out. Yeah. So here's the thing. Do not see a movie in theaters in January or February <laughs> unless it has an explicitly good endorsement because that's when movies dump their garbage movies. So even if you were going back then, if you you were doing your methodology, you'd still find a way to see Mordecai and you'd still find a way to leave the theater extremely disappointed in Johnny Depp. Those two elements, right, that their entire system is sort of skewed towards the top three stars, and then they also have this rounding thing going on. Which of those two feels the most distasteful to you? Um, I would have to say that on, on its face, I think that their bigger problem is that their scores are very, very clumped in one direction. Other sites have found ways to deal with accepting reviews from view, from users, accepting reviews from fans, and not having it skew in either direction, right? Rotten Tomatoes has to deal with this all the time. IMDb has to deal with this all the time, and they have built-in algorithms to basically say, like, we realize that fans are going to brigade different movies, mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to find a way to mitigate that, because that's not an accurate reflection of what this film is actually worth, right? So other sites have kind of built-in defense mechanisms against that, and I think that they don't want that built-in defense mechanism. Like, you want people of rush in and say a movie's great, a movie's great if you were selling tickets to that subsequent movie. So let's go there. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about what we think is going on here. And I, and I will say that Fandango has responded to you and said on this specific rounding point has said, you know, we actually think it's you've pointed out a bug for us, yeah. right? That that our site is rounding these up. But in this general notion of their their reviews on this one site 
being more favorable than elsewhere. One theory that I know you mentioned in the in the piece and that strikes me as plausible is that there's this uh, sunk cost effect yeah. to some extent, which is, as you mentioned, the people who are giving these reviews are people who have already gone to the movie. They don't want to come out of that movie and pretend like they've just wasted their $15. Is that a plausible theory for what's going on here? I think that's a plausible theory, yeah. I think in any kind of rating system, especially when it comes to fandom and, and, and movies that you like, right, you're always going to have a problem where the people who are most willing to rate your movies are the ones who immediately have the strongest opinion on it based on the guttest emotion, right? So if I really enjoy The Avengers, I'm definitely going to positively rate the movie, the Avengers movie, right? Uh, and so how this kind of comes together is that it wouldn't really shock me if that was part of the skew, but what does shock me is that they're the only people who appear to have a problem with their rating system as a result of it. So I guess what you're saying, you, you, you hint at this in the piece, but I'm more realizing it right now just talking with you, is that other sites have just maybe been a little more thoughtful about how to host an accurate rating system. Well, I think the incentives are there for other sites. Like, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, and if you get a Metacritic, so Rotten Tomatoes is owned by a site that sells movie tickets, but I've never felt pressure on Rotten Tomatoes to buy a movie ticket. I don't know about y'all, but right. like, no. either way, so if you're going I see on, Rotten Tomatoes when I use Flickster, which is yeah. my app of choice, nice. but that's kind of working in the other direction. It is, and I know I'm going to buy a ticket there. So uh, with them, it's like, if you go to these sites, their job is to give good ratings, right? That's their sale. Like, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, their pitch to you is like, we will recommend movies that are good, we will aggregate the reviews for you, we have a solid batch of critics that we analyze, we are a reliable site. They are pitching themselves as that is what they're doing, right? And so their incentive is not to sell tickets necessarily, it's to continue to produce accurate ratings results. That is not, again, the business model of Fandango necessarily. They are a ticket sales website, and I would imagine that any ratings on the site, the point of them are to encourage the business model of the site, which is to sell tickets, right? So so did you put that theory before Fandango? How do they respond to that charge? Well, they were very, very skeptical to speak on the record outside of what we really included in the piece a lot. Uh, they did go through some of the ideas of, like, yes, they found the glitch, yes, they found all this kind of thing, but they were they were very, very skeptical about sharing more details about what was going on internally in their heads, so I can't really speculate too much as to what it was. The main thing to kind of take away from this is that you just kind of need to know what the incentives of the of the site that you're using to find out if a movie is good are. This, I think, is a good point to broaden the conversation to not just other movie review sites, but just the notion of online reviews and aggregated ratings for all sorts of things. So we can obviously think of Yelp, we can yeah. think of other rating sites, TripAdvisor, whatever it is. Almost everything has now a user review portal. What lessons have you learned from looking at this little world about whether to trust user reviews in general? Uh, my lesson, I would say, is just like always kind of think about what the site is trying to do for you. Gadget review sites are a good example of this, right? Like, I would trust uh, a, a reliable gadget review site more than I would necessarily Apple's personal website that right. sells like, oh yeah, this iPhone has five stars. Yeah, don't worry about it. And, and Or even in that case, like Amazon to a degree, because one of the best advice that, that I had been told when it comes to interpreting online ratings is that you disregard all the five-star ratings and you disregard all the mm-hmm. one-star ratings and then you read the twos and the fours because those are the ones who are like, they. I actually had an experience with this product. Here's what I kind of feel about this. 
uh, here's my particular thoughts on why this isn't a perfect score or this is a very or less than bad score and kind of go into this with the idea that a lot of times reviewers have something that they're trying to an idea that they're trying to get across to you uh, whether it's like their own personal preference or things like that uh, the aggregate's a solid way to look at it I would say but you mentioned the uh, gadget reviews and there was a big scandal or a big sort of legal development in the last few years over review sites that had been receiving products from uh, electronics manufacturers or even you know other all, all sorts of review yeah. sites you think about the sort of mommy blogger world and all that stuff where does this start to brush up against tricky legal territory in in the course of reporting this one out we talked to the FTC the Federal yep. Trade Commission uh, they uh, they're the consumer protection agency essentially uh, for the US government and they're increasingly intrigued by this kind of thing when it comes to a false advertising kind of thing they recently had a case in September uh, and it was a judgment against I want to say machinima because essentially they had received either payment or products from Microsoft and then they went on to review those products favorably and they did not at any point disclose that they had received or or any of these mm-hmm. kind of products and so that's that's a lot of the case that you're talking about right and like, now there are disclosure rules yes. around all this and that's and that's even more sort of acute of a quid pro quo right yeah. we give you something and you give you a just say like, review so how does that trickle though into the yelps and the Fandangos and the sort of more crowd-sourced reviews, your advice that you think about the incentive structure behind a particular site is a good one. But even on Yelp, when you search for something on Yelp, there are sponsored reviews at the top. Yeah. Does that change the way that you trust something like Yelp? I would say like, I'm personally pretty skeptical of a lot of the reviews that I read on Yelp in particular, just because the way that I will take it is if you go to this restaurant, this is what you should kind of get, not should I, should I not go to this restaurant. My, my, my approach with Yelp is always to actually – I think a lot of people try and uh, – as you were saying, they try and throw out the really good reviews. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I actually throw out the really bad reviews, and I like the good reviews because, like, I want to know what's the best possible experience I yeah. can have at this place and get a couple tips. But that's probably because Yelp rarely, for me at least, convinces me to go to a place and is more sort of a guide yeah. once I've decided to go to a place. In the course of reporting out another story, I talked to several restaurant owners, mm-hmm. and they oftentimes brought up their fraught relationship with Yelp. Uh, Yelp reviewers oftentimes have a different set of incentives than somebody who's just going to get a burger at a decent place, right? Uh, uh, when it comes to essentially like quality of service, things like that. So you got to think about a lot of what are the incentives for the person who's endorsing this product, right? Is it that they're doing it in order to uh, get a better version of that product? Are they doing it in order to promote that product? Are they doing it in order to denigrate an opponent's product? Things like that. We'll get back to Walt and look at how he would design an online review site in a second. But first... Support for What's the Point comes from Dropbox for Business. Right now, as I do each week, I'm uploading a little bit of extra audio from the show to Dropbox. It's a clip of Walt talking about how much the movie industry stands to gain or lose from online reviews. Basically, he's describing how much they feel they have at stake. We were talking about an industry that, like, in, in like the early 2000s, uh, a Sony executive allegedly invented a whole critic out of whole cloth. Like, he basically said, yes, here's a critic who works at this paper in Connecticut, and uh, he gave this five out of five stars. You should definitely see this terrible Keanu Reeves movie. So if you want to hear more of that story, I'm putting it on Dropbox for everyone to listen to now. 
And while that's uploading, let me tell you about Dropbox for Business, which helps you work the way you want. It's got all the things you love about Dropbox with enterprise-grade security and administrative controls. You and your team can work together on any file type on any device simply and securely. There are sharing controls like expiration dates and passwords for shared links. Of course there are. It's how file sharing should work. Over 100,000 businesses have already used Dropbox for business. Yours should be the next one. Okay, that audio is uploaded. I'm hitting the share button now. Very easy. So you can find a link to it right now on our website, 538.com slash podcasts. Take a listen, and thanks again to Dropbox for Business. All right, back to the show. So this all sounds like a lot of work, right? If you have to first review in your head the review site and then read the reviews, it's like, why doesn't that just seems like it's adding a whole other step. Like, what not the point of these places to just make it simpler? Yeah, the point of these places is to make it simpler, but unfortunately, like... The act of rating something that is entirely subjective is a fundamentally difficult thing, right? And uh, if it were easier to turn something subjective into an objective number, then we would have a much easier job here, right? Like, it's not always an easy thing to do in order to basically take an experience, take whether it's food, whether it's a film, whether it's a TV show, whether it's any kind of thing, and articulate it into, like, uh, like you know, something from one to five or even one to a hundred. Like, um there's a lot of nuance in that, right? Like, there's a lot of, like, it, like was this a 96 or a 97? Like, was this a, a 40 or a 50, right? Even on these kind of levels, it's a lot of times difficult for us to break down exactly how good an experience was. Like, are we docking points for different things? It's not a lot of times as mathy as people kind of expect it to be. And in that regard, you should probably just be a little bit more skeptical about, like, if you see anything kind of boil down to a single number or a single value when it comes to a subjective experience. Right. And you said that it's really hard to articulate a subjective experience. Well, we have people in this world who do that for a living. They're called critics. So I wonder if you, in the process of reporting this out or thinking about this, have changed your level of trust for like the A.O. Scots of the world, which is how we used to get our advice for how to go to a movie is to read a critic. And you just pick the critic that you trust, the one individual one, as opposed to this aggregate crowd. That's the smart move, right? And so, like, some of the responses that we got were like, yeah, like, I only trusted Ebert, right? right. Uh, and that's a sensible position to take, you know? I mean, he's a guy who has, he had a wide variety of interests when it came to talking about films. He had a specific interest in, like, basically comparing a film to, like, the best version of itself kind of thing. So he had, like, a solid methodology that was consistent across the board. And as a result, he was really useful. Uh, like, the, re- the the folks who I talked to that, that counseled me against basically boiling down a subjective experience review into a number were critics. Like, I talked to a few sure. of them in the course of the piece, and they were just like, yeah. I mean, sometimes Rotten Tomatoes gets my thoughts right. Sometimes it gets it wrong. Sometimes, yeah, like, there's a, there's a, like, it's a guarded endorsement rather than, like, a negative thing, right? So, so even if the folks who are making the reviews are a little bit skeptical of how much you should trust them uh, when they get aggregated, um, th- that is a really solid point. But let's go back to uh, the, the, the movie reviewing system. Yeah. And if you were in charge of developing the next Rotten Tomatoes or Fandango or Metacritic or whatever, how would you create something that was still democratic, that still brought a lot of voices in, which I think is the promise of this and is a noble pursuit, but also 
was faithful to the notion of offering uh, you know an accurate reflection and guidance yeah. to whether you should see a movie. In order to kind of design it, you need to like write down your your bill of rights, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Like what are the what are the specific boxes that you want checked in order to do this? And sometimes when you do that, it becomes impossible, right? And you can't build a system that checks all the boxes. But basically, you need to figure out what the values are. I would say the first one is that it should be a site that allows movies to fail just as easily as it allows them to succeed. Um, in the sense that the the main issue that I took with with some of the distributions that we saw on that chart, and again, it was a like it was all things considered, like it was 146 movies, so it wasn't a massive sample, but uh, I think that it should look a lot more like a bell curve centered around two and a half. Um, and I realized that one possible reason for this was that these were somewhat bigger pictures, somewhat more popular films. That uh, I mean, if a movie hits a certain level of success, then it's probably got some inherent quality to it, right? But I would like to see if you were to basically lay everything down, it should be basically centered at the at the halfway mark, right? And you should see something like a bell curve that there are there aren't a lot of very bad movies and there aren't a lot of very great movies, but there's a lot of movies that are right in the middle. But it's so funny when you say that because. I feel like so much of what we talk about here at 538 is like not envisioning your product, yeah. your result, before you do the process of the data gathering. But you're almost saying, we, in this case, we need to know yeah. what our final result's going to look like and then engineer backwards from there. Isn't that like a very un-538 way to approach no, it? So, I mean, like, if you, like, you want to talk about 538 approaches, like, you would see a similar thing in, like, an ELO design system. You would see that if you were to add basically, the, like, the average... ELO, ELO by the net- way, is our rating system for yeah. uh, different sports teams that yeah. takes if all sports sorts of... sports is a nail, right. ELO is our hammer. It's just yeah. the best thing every time. <laughs> Um, but so, anyway, uh, uh, so it's yeah. a rating system we've yeah. developed, and your point is that when they designed the rating system, they built internal consistency, the, in the sense that everything adds up to a, a net neutral. A net neutral that if there's a good team, it's good because another team is bad, and you right. can ascertain that by their specific quality, and that allows you to compare stuff over time. So if you're just asking me to design out of nowhere an arbitrary rating system, I would say you have to have that. Like, not all movies can be good. There, are, and if all right. movies are good, then that means that we, we need to shift everything up, right? We need to realize that that some movies are better than other ones and that any rating system should accurately encapsulate that. I've, I have had a lot of emails from a lot of people who are telling me like, hey, we're working on building a cool rating site. Let's chat. Because this is a this has hit a nerve with people. It's, it's, sure. it's, it's like if you can't trust the crowd, which is probably like the only rule of the internet right now is like you can trust the crowd when it, when it's making a decision and an endorsement. And if that's kind of going to the wayside, then we need to figure out what comes next before this goes away. Read Walt Hickey's piece on our site right now, 538.com slash podcast. On the site, you can also see a video of me forcing Walt to watch the Fantastic Four trailer. What's the Point's editor is Chadwick Matlin. Our video producer is Ryan Nantel. Special thanks this week to Simone Landon. Sarah Patterson is our intern. We'll soon be looking for a new intern, though, so get in touch through the website if you or someone you know is interested. Joel Werner helped mix and produce this episode, and a shout-out to Joel, who is in Chicago this weekend, to pick up his third Coast Prize for a great episode of 99% Invisible he did. It's the one about the building in Manhattan that sits on stills. It's really good, so congratulations, Joel. My name is Jody Avergan. You can email me at podcasts at 538.com. Keep the suggestions for future shows coming. I'm also on Twitter at Jody Avergan and Facebook. It's been a week of Facebook for me. 
Our music is by Rishikesh Hirway, who also hosts the Song Exploder podcast. You can find that podcast on iTunes. And on our website, you can find a link to download the theme song to this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to What's the Point in iTunes or your favorite podcast client and give us a rating and a review. It really does help others discover the show. Thanks for listening. See you soon. What's the point, listeners? I'm Chadwick Matlin. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Neil Payne. And together, we make up the crew of Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. Kate, how would you describe the show if you had to do it in like five seconds? It's freaking awesome. Okay, Neil? We take down hot takes. Look at that. That's we- sort of the title. Good point. <laughs> so if you want to hear us talk about the week in sports news and what people are talking about in an uninformed way and ha- hear about the data and the stats and the analytics that take them down, subscribe in the iTunes store, search for Hot Takedown. To find us, we'll talk to you then. Do it.